For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hey, McCall. Hey, Kirsty. How are you? I'm good. Can you believe that Thanksgiving is next week? Oh, couldn't come soon enough for me. Right? McCall, you've been a very hardworking girl. Yeah, been a little bit busy lately, but for a good reason. Exactly, yes. And that is what our podcast is going to be about. But I do think also, I'm going to put you on the spot, McCall. What is one thing that you're thankful for this year? Um, my family. Yeah. Of course. Um, my daughter has just turned three. She's really coming into her own. And while she drives me mad every day. <laughs> She's feisty. <laughs> she is feisty. Um, I'm just so thankful for her and my husband and, of course, my extended family. But, you know, we're going to be spending Thanksgiving, just the three of us mm -hmm. here in Ohio. And, and it's just going to be really special. It really, I think that sounds wonderful. Um, and I do think that it, this time of year, what we're doing, um, what this podcast this week is going to be about is the Memorial Day tornadoes and uh, taking a look at where people are today. Um, this includes not only a newspaper, uh, long newspaper series, uh, but also a television series that will be airing. So if you're from the Dayton area, you know very well what we're referring to when we say the Memorial Day tornado outbreak. Um, of course, if you're not from the area, we work for WHIO, Cox Media Group, um, our newspaper, Dayton Daily News. Uh, we will have a reporter from Dayton Daily News that's going to join us in just a minute. And of course, McCall works for all the brands, but WHIO Channel 7, um, the CBS here in Dayton. McCall was a part of that event. She was our chief guiding us and protecting the Miami Valley during the tornado outbreak. And as we're heading towards Thanksgiving, it is, I think, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people's lives probably went on just like normal. Um, but we have a huge chunk of the population here in the Miami Valley that is still, you know, rebuilding, reeling, and heading into a holiday season, one like they've never experienced before. Um, so I do want to introduce our other guest besides McCall, Josh Swigert. He has been a newspaper reporter with Cox Media Group. We have several newspapers, which I'm going to make you talk about in just a minute, uh, for 12 years, though, so more than a decade, Josh. That's impressive. Welcome. Thank you for making me feel old. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's my that's my goal. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your background as a newspaper reporter. Yeah, I've been with Cox for about 12 years now. And I mean, I guess I'm thankful for the opportunities I've had, right? So I was the Butler County reporter for the Hamilton Journal News and Middletown Journal uh, starting in 2007. Uh, I moved here from Florida, which I realize is the wrong direction. Yeah, um, I was just going to say what? Uh, and then the Springfield News Sun reporter. I was uh, covering Clark County government there. And then I came here with our cross-platform I-team a few years ago. Uh, now full-time investigative reporter with the Dayton Daily News, working uh, right now, largely on, well, exclusively now, on mm -hmm. the uh, Walking the Path of the Storm project. But the last big project I did was a big deep dive into Dayton public schools and uh, how to sort of move what the path forward was for the school district and how the community can kind of work together to um, find solutions. And so a big part of what I do now as an investigative reporter for the Dayton Daily News is look for solutions to community-wide problems. And that's that's what we're, we're doing right now with the Tornado Series. I was just going to say, so connecting that, trying to find the solution, you did it for the public schools. Now we're doing it for the tornado outbreak. And you are working with McCall. So uh, if you're not familiar, you know, television and, and newspapers, they are two different mediums, both providing you with news, 
and in-depth looks at stories in the community. Uh, newspaper, you can get a little bit more in-depth. Um, so explain, you know, this project. How did you get McCall involved? How did this even start? Well, uh, I think one of the things that we noticed as time went on, in the immediate aftermath of the storm, it was all hands on deck. All media mm -hmm. were involved. I mean, we worked closely with TV and radio, and um, uh, it was everyone was out in the field talking to people. But as time went on, a lot of people started wondering, are we forgetting about the victims of the tragedy? And un unfortunately, as we're all well aware, Dayton um, had a terrible, terrible year. Yes. Uh, the Oregon District shooting was another horrible tragedy that hit our area. Uh, and after that, again, we began wondering, do pe are people still aware of what's going on? We, we began wondering what's going on on, the, on that um, for the people who were hit by the storm. So uh, we came up with the idea of let's just travel the path of the largest EF4 tornado as uh, McCall knows better than I do. The number, mm -hmm. how many tornadoes were there? That mm. fifteen in our yeah. viewing area. Fifteen tornadoes. Um, the the biggest was the one that went through the entire swath. It's like a, a, a frowny face all the way across Montgomery County. It's this yeah. massive sort of scar if you look at it on the map. Um, uh, and and so we decided, you know what, we're going to start from where it, where it began and and where it ended, uh, and look at travel the entire path of it, walking as much as possible and talking to people along the way about what their experiences were and what the um, what problems they're still facing now, months later, and uh, there are, it, it's been very insightful. Wow, okay, so how long was the path? About 18 miles, right, Michael? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 20 miles is the total path from start to finish, of the according touch. to the National Weather yeah. Service. And I remember, uh, as Josh was coming up with this idea, he needed to know where's the path. Right. And so he came back to the weather office and said, McCall, where are path? the actual <laughs> GPS coordinates? Uh, that I need to walk. It's not a straight line. Right. And so tornadoes I kind of giggled because when he told me he was going to walk 20 miles, I was like, that's, sure that's kind of funny. You know, a good thing you work out. And uh, then it evolved to become a partnership. So, of course, I wound up walking. We drafted her in. She yeah. laughed at us. We're like, yeah. all right, well, we'll see about that. And I was like, that. wait, good idea. <laughs> um, but it, he came back into the weather office, and, and we um, worked with the National Weather Service website and were able to find those exact locations um, to be able to go walk that path. So how long have you guys both been working on this? It's been a few months. I don't remember exactly when the whole uh, thing began, but I know it was in the late summer, early spring. Right? It was, I believe it was sometime in September. Um, okay. We started and it's pretty much been at least two and a half months, maybe. Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Well, as a meteorologist and of course a nerd, um, you know, the people in this path, in those two months have experienced some extreme weather. Mm -hmm. uh, we had not only an extremely hot and droughty uh, summer, the beginning of fall, October was the latest that we've seen 90 degree days. Um, so these people are living in homes that are not fully repaired and we were at 94 degrees in the beginning of October. Um, then Halloween, we had the first you know, small snow but large wind event. Then we had our first earliest um, single-digit temperatures this month, in the beginning of this mm -hmm. month. So, you know, you guys are, are out walking the path, talking to families, and then, you know, me in the weather office just thinking of, you know, it's not sunny and 75 every day for them or comfortable at night or mm -hmm. dry. So what has that been like? I mean, weather is a uh, inseparable part of these people's lives for a lot of these people who still have home damage. I mean, you think about when I go home, I have a house, so I can right. control the weather inside my house. If you have windows missing, holes in your roof, um, or if you're displaced uh, or living, um, moving around, we've talked mm -hmm. to people who had moved, had to move several times. Um, those things all impact their lives in a much more drastic way than they would for 
the average person who has, I mean, temperature control. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of things that, like, I didn't think of when we're out there talking to some of the people in the community. There's this one woman, woman Lovey, which was in Trotwood, mm-hmm. and uh, as Josh mentioned, huge hole in her roof. You know, weather has just been getting in there, rain, whatever. It, it was tarped, but, you know, right, no one's up there every day so making sure that's tacked on properly. Inside of her home is basically melting because it's just been, you know, exposed to the elements. And as sad as that was, the one thing that kind of stood out to me, and I think Josh and I were both taken aback by it, is that she said when she was displaced in May, it was like in the 90s. Right. She packed up all her stuff, all her closet that wasn't damaged by the weather and put it into a um, warehouse or like storage storage unit. Okay. And insurance was great, put her up in some housing, but now it's cold and she doesn't want to go to the storage unit to try and get all this clothes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now she's left with having to buy clothes, but she doesn't want to buy a lot of clothes because she's hoping to get back into her house. And she doesn't want to have to transport all of that back in. And I was like, wow, I I wouldn't have thought of that. So she had all these summer clothes, T-shirts, shorts, <sighs> flip-flops. flip-flops. Probably no adequate shoes for no heavy jacket. snow in November, three degrees that we had just yeah. a week right. ago. Wow. Yeah, you don't even think about that. You maybe just think like... Okay, there's a lot of homes that still don't have windows or roofs, but yeah, the everyday just what am I going to wear? What you know? Yeah. And when we started, it's one of the things we realized in September. So immediately after the storm, there's a huge outpouring of support. I mean, this community mm-hmm. is awesome in terms of uh, what how they rallied. Uh, and there was food trucks and people giving away water and people giving away clothes and and personal household items. And in, in May, when people lost all their stuff, they got a bunch of t-shirts and shorts. Uh, right. And then. Fast forward four months when we st- we started the program, the, fir- the this project, the first story I re- wrote. I remember now it was four months later. Um, they don't they need more, and yeah. but that infrastructure just isn't there anymore. I mean, we it's four months later. It's not in, it's present to mind, and so uh, there's not as many donations for coats and stuff as there was back then. So that's part one of the things we're trying to focus on is is reminding people, okay, here are the needs as they are today, not as they were six months ago when this thing happened. Yeah, and I would also, and this is just an observation, as you just mentioned, the coats, but I mean, every year in the wintertime, we still have a large population just in general that needs winter clothes and coats and things of that nature. But now you're adding in families that maybe never needed this, and now they do. So like just that winter need mm-hmm. is going to be even more intense, right? Absolutely. And, uh, and we mentioned coats, and you asked about the impact of weather on people's homes. I mean, we've also talked to numerous people who don't have windows. I mean... Yeah. Uh, Elmo Blanken uh, is a good story. We, we traveling the path of the storm in the uh, Northridge area. We came across his house, and he's this uh, very sweet guy, eighty-three year old, um, retired bricklayer, Air Force veteran. Um, lives in this house by himself with his cockatiel named Pretty Girl and his <laughs> cat named Two Bits. Uh, and he has no windows. Uh, his windows are all covered by blue tarp, and that's the only thing separating. The inside of his house from the outside of his house. Oh my gosh! So he had no insurance. He lived. He owned the house outright. And, uh, applied after the storm for FEMA. Got uh, enough money from FEMA to replace his roof, but not the windows. So we're talking to him, saying, "Well, El- Elmo, uh, what are you going to do?" He's like, "Oh, I'll, I'll figure it out." He's like, "I got a guy coming. He's going to uh, put some plexiglass up this weekend. Though he might go hunting. We're, we're not sure." <laughs> and we're like, "Elmo, it's going to be 20 degrees this weekend. Right. I mean, it was, the, it was that first big cold snap we had." Yeah. And he was like, oh, I got, I got a space heater. I'll, I'll be fine. I'm like, Elmo, think of the cockatiel. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I was literally scared for this guy. So uh, we, uh, we we ended up doing a story just about, at the same time, coincidentally, um, the uh, long-term recovery group, which I'd, I'd like to talk about at some yes. point. But 
um, is was doing a button-up for winter event. They're trying to put tarps on people's roofs, uh, and so we were doing a story about tornado survivors and the need for sealing up homes, and so we made it a point to, to profile this guy, uh, and uh, there was a huge outpouring of people wanting to help. Um, there was, uh, I could probably got two dozen emails and phone calls, and we partnered with television and uh, did a story um, uh, on on Elmo, and uh, ultimately Lowe's, the district manager for Lowe's, uh, messaged me through Twitter and said, hey, we'd like to help, what can we do? And I gave the guy the address, and he went down there, talked to Elmo, and said, you're right, he's a super nice guy. We looked at his house, we said, you know what, we're not just gonna replace the windows that were put out by the storm, we're gonna replace all the windows on his house. Aww. And we're gonna replace his back porch, which was destroyed by the storm. So Lowe's uh, stepped forward and they're gonna take care of the whole thing. And uh, I still get calls from people wanting, like how can I help out Elmo? <laughs> uh, and, and I tell them, look, I, Elmo's been, been taken care of. I mean, uh, the Lowe's has stepped in and they have, they have the means and they have the goodwill to do it. Uh, but there's a lot of people out there who, who are still in that same situation. I talked to a lady yesterday who has, uh, living in a home with three children, four of her windows are, are boarded up still to this day. So she's living there with three children and her mother uh, in this house where, the, the, the again, the thin sheet of plywood and some pieces of the plywood had actually been broken off by animals that had come in. Uh, and so it's just a little bit of cardboard she used to block a hole between the inside of her house and the outside. And there's, I mean, uh, she's applying for help and trying to get through the process, but it's just taking a long time and, and winter's coming. These stories of people still suffering from something that was six months ago. It's sad, but it is uplifting to see that we can do these stories and we can make a difference. And that's like the whole point of what we're doing, right. getting the word out for survivors of this situation and then to see the recovery. It's just heartwarming um, to know that that's what our project is, is turning out to be. Well, how would you say the um, attitudes, I guess, of the people that you were meeting in the past? Because I remember directly after we were just so impressed with just how resilient people were and we're like i'm fine I'm, and it's like your house is gone i'm fine my neighbor needed you know a hot dog so i made it for them but like how has it been when you guys were walking do you, our people is the spirits you know our community is very resilient clearly we've had a, a intense year but what was it like when you were meeting people i think for the most part um People are still feeling very resilient and, mm -hmm. and they're bouncing back. I can see there is a little tiredness to the process. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, they seemed really strong to me. That was kind of the impression that I got. There is some decisive uh, decisions that they've made. Some have chosen, no matter what, I'm staying and I'm going to fix this up and I'm going to move on. There were some people that said, you know what? It's just too much to wake up every day and go outside and see my neighborhood this way. So I'm going to just move away because it's better for me mentally yeah um but we'll have to see how it all fares once we get through the winter season i think that's going to be really showing how strong they are yeah and josh you mentioned you wanted to talk about um the group that is kind of helping with long-term recovery yeah so there's uh, a number of efforts that have been sort of coalesced uh, one of the things that really um i find amazing about how this the aftermath of the storm is that fema stepped in mm -hmm. gave out some some assistance but the majority of the help people have gotten has not been from the government. It's been from local nonprofits. I mean, immediately after the storm, everyone will tell you, man, I, the, the Amish showed up like hours <laughs> later or the local church group showed up. I mean, it was uh, the the Boy Scouts. The, I mean, everyone talks about the specific group that showed up in their neighborhood. And I remember looking out the window and these people were just out there. I talked to one guy who said, you know, that night I hear chainsaws firing up and uh, the city couldn't even get to them at that point. But the neighbors were all clearing out. So from from that moment, from immediately afterwards, when neighbors are checking on each other, they, you go next door, hey, Bertha, are you okay? Is everyone all right? 
to to six months later, it's been neighbors helping neighbors. It's really been the the majority of of the of the assistance people have gotten, and so local nonprofits have all sort of formed this coalition. Uh, it involves, I mean, you name it: Community Action Partnerships, St. Vincent de Paul, Catholic Social Services, Lutheran Services. Uh, you name the, the list goes on. Yeah, the list goes <laughs> on and on. Uh, and if there's a social service agency uh, or nonprofit in the county, they're they're at this table, and they're all working together to try to figure out how to get the the resources where they need. And so they've set up a um, helpline called two two one one already existed. I mean, two one one was an existing helpline for people who need social services. Now, if you call two one one and you say I need help from the tornado, they have dedicated caseworkers that'll take your call, figure out uh, and began a case management process to help you figure out what needs you have and what resources are available to get to, to meet those those needs and those resources so that's uh if there's anyone who is still in need and needs doesn't know where to turn 211 is a resource that they should they should try that's amazing and so organized and just mm-hmm. ingenious that all the groups decided to come together and and keep this resource alive and going um as we get closer so Dayton daily news that's the newspaper by the way that that this will be coming out in when will this piece be available for people to read or continue to read or the series is it just are you continuing to publish these or what's it's going been on? we've had four parts so the, the there's the main parts where we sort of t- write about what we've saw uh, mm-hmm. on the path uh, and then that spins off into pieces that we sort of dive deeper into certain issues so um, we started in Perry Township the very first uh, place so I mean uh, McCall and Chris and I all went to that the the uh, soybean field where the map shows the thing first spun up um, and I, I didn't notice, but I guess the drone showed that you could still see like some the scars, uh, mm-hmm. a little s- bit, some shaping, right? Yeah. Wow. Um, and then uh, there, from there east, you could uh, just following the path through. Uh, was it Brookville and and uh, Trotwood and um, uh, the, the township out there and Harrison Township and and Dayton, Old North Dayton and Riverside. Um, uh, so the first piece about Perry Township, that's uh, the first four pieces are all available online. Perry Township, Brookville, uh, Trotwood, and Harrison Township. Um, uh, and as well as we did a, a piece looking deeper into insurance issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big things we hear is people arguing with their insurance company as well. There's things you can do about that. Uh, and so we did a story about what options you have. Um, in Harrison Township, there's a lot of businesses that were impacted. Uh, so we did a story about that that was in uh, the last Sunday's paper looking at uh, Evans Arena, a car dealership that had $9 million in damages. How do you bounce back from that? Uh, and then looking at the changing nature of the Dixie Strip, that's a big uh, story that people are talking about is the Dixie Strip area there had some businesses, some of which were liked better than others, um, oh, right. uh, that were all destroyed. And so there's people asking, are, are some of these businesses going to reopen? Is this an opportunity to, to, to reshape what our neighborhood looks like? And that's part of the conversation as well. That's all available online now. Uh, the next story uh, we'll look at, frankly, the, the, where Elmo lives, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the neighborhood there in the Northridge, Old North Dayton area, where we we analyzed the home values and found that the lowest valued homes are in that area. These are people who don't have resources. These are people who tend to not have insurance because mm-hmm. uh, they tend to own their home. Uh, and what resources are available to them and, and how are they coming along? And that's where we found some of the uh, most dire situations is in that neighborhood that we're going to be profiling next. Wow, and that's wonderful because that is going to, you know, get a lot more people that maybe didn't even realize what was going on in that neighborhood. They'll be able to read, they'll be able to learn, and hopefully they'll want to step up. Um, McCall, for the television side of Mm -hmm. this, so, you know, most people that are listening are from at least the Miami Valley, but we do have listeners that are not from this area. Um, What was it like for you putting together 
a television story because that is a, a lot more visual. I mean, Josh, yes, mm-hmm. the photos, drone video, and he has to write the words that can kind of paint the picture to someone. But you're kind of dealing with the other side. Yeah, it, it was uh, a lot of work, um, long hours, because I need to tell the stories of these people, but I only have a limited amount of time right. to tell them because in TV, you only got a few minutes. Yes. You know, so I'm begging for more and more time from the special projects manager, like, mm-hmm. ah, sorry, it's <laughs> this long. Um, but I had to try and really dial in on what was most important uh, to talk about in each of these locations that we went to. Um, and I think that I, I've done a really good job. In Brookville, we had the opportunity to talk to a renter. So we get that profile of, you know, what is it like knowing you had three homes that were damaged and you had people renting there? And what yeah. are you doing now to, to move on from that? We also spoke to a family that, you know, their home was so damaged that they've just demolished it down to a slab. And then, wow. you know, the mental repercussions of what happened from that night Mm -hmm. then we move into Trotwood and I meet a lady that not only was just hit by this tornado she was in the Xenia tornado and if you're from if you're from out of town then you might not know what I'm talking about but this is the biggest tornado that everybody ever uh, you know refers back to it was an f5 twister in 1974 that killed more than 30 people in Xenia so that was epic so she lived through both of these storms we we talked to a woman which we mentioned earlier on lovey whose house it was day one that they were starting work on it, and it was four months later. Um, and, and then moving on to Harrison Township, which was lush with greenery before this tornado came in. And you can just see just visually, you know, you can put so many photos in, in a newspaper or online, but to see it visually in, in television form where you're scanning the horizon and you just see hundreds of trees just Gone. Gone. Oh, my gosh. As many thousands of words as I try to use, it's still indescribable. (laughs) And so seeing that the images are absolutely, I mean, uh, Unbelievable. And um, just to hear the stories of the people that were there and um, to hear their words. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you're saying it, but to be able to take their voices and, you know, one woman from Trotwood saying it was just like before the storm hit. Because she could hear the vent. Yeah. You know, things like that just give you chills. Or another man in Riverside saying he was sitting on the toilet in his bathroom and, and the, the ground, the, the floor was just coming up and down and up and down. And, and you can feel yes. that they're almost living through it again as they're telling the story. And wanting to capture those moments in just a short period of time to be able to let the public see mm-hmm. the human aspect behind what has happened and then really to talk about the issues of you know where are they now and you know old north dayton while may not have had the highest number of properties and homes damaged in comparison to to trotwood and harrison township they had one grocery store that everybody went to and now that grocery store is gone and to hear that they have the money to buy groceries but don't have the transportation to get there i mean that's heartbreaking Mm -hmm. that's a big deal that's something that we should be tackling as as a community here yeah. help these if a grocery store is going to change that many lives i mean what can we do to make that happen so just shining the light on those things the importance of what josh and i have been doing and i'm hoping to do in my stories and those those will be um coming up the the three days before thanksgiving which again we have so much to be thankful for and you know this series it, it's a reminder that even though the storms are over, these people's lives are still just so dramatically impacted. And 
you know, it's very easy to look out our window and it looks exactly the same here at the station. Mm -hmm. But A, some of these people still don't have windows. And those that do, like you said, their neighborhoods are completely transformed. The trees are gone in neighborhoods. And, you know, it, it will take a lot to rebuild. But what you two are both doing is shining a light. So hopefully, especially as we head into the holiday season, you know, anyone that doesn't live in Dayton or lives outside of the path, you know, maybe it'll make them stop and think and, and see how they can help. And Josh, I'm going to point this back to you. If people are listening to this and then they read your articles or McCall, they watch your special on television and they are inclined to help, what what can they do? Where where do we want to point people that, that might be interested, especially as we're heading into Thanksgiving and eventually the, the rest of the holiday season? Uh, there's a number of options. We have a resource guide on our website. Uh, if you just Google uh, Tornado Resource Guide, Dayton Daily News, you'll get that. It talks about where to go to volunteer. Uh, mm-hmm. There are still some volunteer opportunities that are available. Um, in terms of financial giving, there's uh, the Dayton Foundation still has the Tornado Fund. Uh, that's what is supporting the 211 thing that I talked about earlier, that, okay. uh, a lot where that Dayton Foundation money is going. Um, and there's just a huge myriad of local groups that are that are involved uh the dayton foundation is a good place to give but your church is probably uh, right. also considering something and and uh, there's, there's lots of opportunities out there so if you want to give money the dayton foundation is an option or you can look on this website uh or you can just uh, go through your, your organization you're already working with your church or whatever and that's that's another opportunity but um there's an acute need out there uh we talked about and the we the dayton daily news and whio um have a valley food relief drive that we do every year uh we have several organized uh, drives that we do that we're doing this year. I know we're involved in Toys for Tots this mm-hmm. year. Uh, we're doing a Christmas layaway program. So there's and you'll be hearing a lot more about that stuff over the next few weeks and months, uh, I'm sure. So there will be there will be many opportunities to, to, to help out a neighbor and, and you definitely have neighbors in need. Oh, yes, definitely. McCall, any last thing that you're thinking about? Yeah, well, I just want to mention, you know, while Josh and I have been working very close together, there is, this is a a team of three people. Yes. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I, I didn't want to end the podcast without mentioning that uh, Chris Stewart is also part of this. He's yes. taken all of the photos, most uh, of the, the photos. The good ones, all the good ones. <laughs> all, the, all the wonderful photos that you're seeing. Um, and of course, he's adding, you know, writing and things like that. But he is out right now Literally on the path. Yeah. Um, it, it's a secret mission. No, I don't know. He, <laughs> he 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 was supposed to be here today, but he said I have to go out and do something mm-hmm. on path, and so so that's where he is. Unfortunately, he couldn't be on this podcast. But if you want to hear more about walking the path of the storm, this is not the only podcast that Correct. you can listen to, um, because I've been on a couple episodes with Josh and Chris. I, ha- I missed one unfortunately, but Josh, talk about the podcasts that you've been doing for this as well, and what's it called and how people can yeah, find it people yeah no there is a walking the path of the storm podcast uh it's cleverly named um <laughs> the yeah, keep it simple um and mccall has been joining us when possible uh the, the we have been talking about in depth the same things we're talking about here in terms of the people we're meeting along the way what issues we're finding uh the last episode i think we've had three episodes the last one we brought in the dayton foundation and the long-term recovery group and asked them the question that I get often is, where's the money going? All this yeah. money to go on the Dayton Foundation, where's the money going? Uh, and so we put that question to them and said, um, explain for our readers and listeners uh, where the money's going. Um, we talked about uh, what we saw in Brookville, what we saw in Perry Township. So 
those are available online. Just Google uh, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, the Walk in the Path of the Storm, and then you can hear Chris, who could not make it today. So Chris, yes. Chris features prominently in those. Chris, okay. <laughs> he does. Chris is a part of it. But yes, <laughs> and those in-depth, you know, if, if this is something that is interesting to you or you want to know more, and you, clearly you're listening to our podcast at this point, yeah. which means you like podcasts. So yes, look for uh, look for Josh's podcast and Chris's because it, it's definitely... It's a great listen, and it, and it will really dive even deeper than what we were just able to do. We kind of just scratched the surface. Yes. All right. Well, if you want to uh, listen to more podcasts, of course, you can uh, use Apple Podcasts, Google Play, as well as Stitcher. If you want to listen to past episodes with McCall and I, just look that up, Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. We also will put more on our website, whio.com. If you do live in the Miami Valley, uh, don't forget to tune in to Channel 7 at 5 o'clock starting on Monday, November 25th. <laughs> that will be the first of McCall's three-part series. Dayton Daily News will have more of Josh's series and DaytonDailyNews.com. You can make sure to go back and read all of the past articles uh, that Josh has been working on because it really has been uh, quite an intense project. And if you're in the Miami Valley and you're you're thinking about giving or these stories touch you, just remember these. this is our community. These are our neighbors. And a lot of people didn't think this would happen here, and unfortunately it did. So let's all step up this holiday season. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.